morning. As uh, Uncle Lance read, we are in Ephesians chapter 2. And before we get started, I would just like to say a brief uh, thank you. Um, we, it's, it's kind of been a, a whirlwind since we got here. Uh, a lot's been going on, getting settled, transitioning uh, to Hawaii time and um, finding a rhythm here. Uh, but you guys have made that way easier than it, it could have been. We've felt very welcomed. Uh, this is a, a body that um, really does uh, welcome and love and serve well. Uh, I know I, sp- I speak on Rocky's behalf when he, he has been received well by you, and so we're, we're just really grateful for you. Uh, if we haven't met yet and you're, um, you, you, you'd like to meet me, I would love to, to, to meet you. So come up and, and introduce yourself, and uh, let's talk for a little bit, and I'd love to get to know you. Um, Ephesians... Uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, this morning, uh, I, I'd like to talk about a, a very special doctrine, a particular doctrine that, um, that has given me a lot of comfort and a lot of encouragement in the face of uh, overwhelming odds, right? So, so we've got, got a lot stacked against us all the time, especially in uh, in our goals that as they uh, pertain to mission and evangelism uh, and, and glorifying God by, by going and proclaiming the gospel to others. Uh, and so our goals are, are, are in that a lot. Uh, and we face overwhelming odds uh, as we think about sharing the gospel, um, as we think about our friends and family being converted, as we think about going to hard places and planting a church. This is a really uh, overwhelming thing to think through uh, as we think about planting a church in Waiheke. Um, there are all kinds of questions. Will people receive uh, the Bible? Will people um, scoff at or laugh at uh, Christianity? Will people reject the gospel? Will they reject me? Um, oftentimes you probably find yourselves as you interact with friends and family asking yourself, am I going to be ostracized or, or cast out or, or unliked because of what I believe and, and because I share what I believe? We face overwhelming odds. We face all kinds of fears and temptations to believe that those things aren't possible. And so there's a, a doctrine that, that I've, I've found very comforting, and it's, it's the doctrine of regeneration. So can everyone say that with me? Regeneration. Now, that's a word that we don't use a lot, uh, but this morning we sang a song that had the word wert in it, W-E-R-T. So we're using some fresh words this morning. Regeneration's not hard to say. It's actually a really, really simple doctrine, uh, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And so in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10, we see a very clear picture of what regeneration is. And so, what is regeneration? Regeneration is, basically, the Christian is exclusively a Christian doctrine that we, as believers, are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. So we were dead in our sins and trespasses. So, so death, spiritual death, and we've been brought out of that, saved from that, and brought into spiritual life. We've been given a new heart and a new body. 
So, so my goal this morning is to, to, that you understand what regeneration is, okay? So understand what regeneration is. And there's always application in a sermon. So you, you need to be able to walk away from this, this text, and be able to apply it to your life. And, and I'm going to give you the application up front. Really, really simple, short application. The application is this. You must cling to, you must cling to this doctrine of regeneration. This is something that you need to hold on to tightly. You need to believe it. You need to believe it, understand it, and hold on to it tightly because it gives us great confidence and encouragement. So my, my goal this morning is that you understand it and in application to your life that you would cling to it. And, and to help you apply it, I'm going to give you some, some ways to, to think about it so that you understand why it's beneficial that you hold on to it so tightly. So let's talk a little bit more about what regeneration is. From Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Regeneration is uh, the, the belief that we were, we were dead in sins and we've been brought out of spiritual death into spiritual life. We be saved... Uh, we must have the heart of stone taken out, as, it's, as it says in Ezekiel 36, a heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh put in. Regeneration is often, we use terms like new birth, new life, new heart. And as Christians, we believe that regeneration happens before we ever do anything good, right? So in, in Ephesians 1, uh, in verse 4, it says, uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So in, in, the, in the process of salvation, you're, you're elected or called. And then uh, you are, um, you're elected and then you're called. As it says in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will. So, so God is electing you and choosing to save you. And then he is calling you or making you understand the gospel and making you understand his will. And then he regenerates you. So he gives you a new heart, right? So all of that is done by God. You have nothing to do with any of that. God is reaching down into a dead person's life and bringing them alive. He's reaching down to, to someone who is spiritually dead and making them alive. It is totally an act of God. In verses 1 through, one through 3 of, of the text that we're looking at this morning, you see, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So the spiritual state is deadness, following the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So not only are you dead, but there are these powers that are enslaving you in death, right? So those powers we see are the world. We are trapped by our desires for the world. Our mind is worldly. There's Satan. Satan's been given a, a, a measure of dominion. Here he is called the prince of the power of the air, and we are, uh, we are under the influence of that power. And then finally, the flesh, we are, we are trapped with fleshly desires. You're under the influence of Satan. You're, you're, you're drawn by sinful, selfish desires. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, so what that means is our, our nature, our deadness, our sinfulness 
what it deserves, what it's earning is God's wrath, punishment from God. We see later in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, or 14, 15, and 16, that, that our sin creates a dividing wall of hostility between us and God. God is holy. He is rightfully offended by sin. And we have earned his wrath because of our nature as those who are dead in sin. But as we, we go on in verse 4, what does God do? The second part of regeneration is we are given new life, new birth. Verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God causes you to live just like what we see in the Gospels. Like when you read the Gospels, one of the miracles that Jesus works a couple of times is what? He raises people from the dead, right? So, so that's, a, that's a, a picture of what we're seeing here, a spiritual reality. We are being raised from the dead. We are made alive together with Christ. Just like, um, so in, in Romans uh, 6, verses 5 through 11, Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are united to Jesus Christ who has been raised and given eternal life. We are united in life with Jesus. Being united with Jesus means that, that he has declared us righteous by his work on the cross. And when he's raised, we're raised with him to new life. We are dead in sin and are made alive with Christ, given new spiritual life marked by the righteousness of Christ. Old heart of stone is out, new heart of flesh is put in. Regeneration is nothing less than the miraculous raising of someone from death to life. That's what regeneration is. You were dead in your sin. You've been given new spiritual life with Christ. That's the doctrine of regeneration. And it's, it's very, very, very important that you understand it and that you hold it dearly, that you hold it close, that you understand it and you, you're applying it to your life by clinging to it as you go through your life and the various trials that you face. And so the application is simply that. The application is, is really, really simple. Love this doctrine. Believe it and hold it tight. So to help you apply that, to help you apply the doctrine of regeneration, I want to give you, I want to give you one reason. This is, this is going to be, so, so here's, here's ways to think about the doctrine of regeneration. I'm going to give you one reason 
uh, that the doctrine of regeneration could potentially leave us hopeless. So one reason that the doctrine of regeneration could potentially leave us hopeless. And I'm going to give you five reasons that the doctrine of regeneration actually gives us the greatest hope possible. Five reasons that the doctrine of regeneration actually leaves us with ultimate hope. So the first thing, one reason that the doctrine of regeneration could potentially leave us hopeless. And the reason that, the reason that I wanted to, to do this uh, is, is because I want you to understand that first part of the doctrine of regeneration. I want you to understand the reality of the deadness of an unbeliever. So one reason that the doctrine of regeneration could potentially leave us hopeless is you can't do anything to save yourself or anyone else. You cannot do anything to save yourself or anyone else. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, the first, the first few verses there, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So what is the nature of death? What is the nature of death? It's permanent uh, and it's total. So if you're, if you're dead physically, what can you do about it? Can you help yourself? Can you... Can you try hard enough to bring yourself back? Can you do anything to improve, improve what, you're, what you're doing? Is there any hope? If you're dead, can you, can you bring yourself out of that? You're stuck, right? You're, you're stuck in that state. There's nothing you can do. Death is permanent. I have, so I'm from, I'm from the deep south, and my family, uh, we grew up, hunting a lot. In, in the South, it's just hunting. So it's, it's, just, it's more of like a grunt. We're hunting, right? And I have a cousin. So, so you probably think I talk funny because I'm not from here in the South. I have a cousin. His name is Blake. He is like the ultimate hick. So as redneck as you possibly can be. And so when he takes a deer, um, he would oftentimes say things like, uh, yeah, I killed him dead. Okay, that's an unnecessary, unnecessary thing to say, right? I killed him dead. But that's what he said. He's a super country guy. But I think it accurately presents the state of death. Like you are, you are, death is permanent. And you're stuck in that state. And there's nothing that you can do about it. The doctrine of regeneration points us to the reality that we are utterly hopeless in improving our own state or anyone else's state. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save anyone else. This isn't a burning building that we, can, that we can run out of to save ourselves. This isn't a burning building that we can go into and pull people out of. Death is utterly hopeless. The spiritual state of our souls in sin is utterly hopeless. In the gospel of John chapter 3, you see this conversation happening between Jesus and Nicodemus. And, and Jesus it says to him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, 
and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So if you're born of the flesh, that's your nature. That is our nature. So let's talk for a second about nature. Now, you, you've all probably figured out that I'm white by now. Um, did it take you a second? Did it take you a while to figure out that I'm a Holly? No? You, you knew pretty quick, right? Okay, so what if I, I got up here and just said, hey, I'm, I'm Filipino? Would, would that, okay, and then I started, like, I started speaking uh, Tagalog. Um, I started eating exclusively Filipino food. Um, I got a tan maybe a little bit. Um, would that make me Filipino? What if I moved to the Philippines? Would that make me Filipino? How do you become the particular ethnicity that you are? You're born that way. It's your nature. Our nature, what we're born into is deadness. Sin has trapped us in a state, and it's made our nature just death. Our nature is one of death. Jesus goes on to say in chapter 3 of, of John, he tells Nicodemus, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What he's, what he's telling Nicodemus is, is there's, there's really no way you can nail this down. You can't, you can't capture the Spirit and bring it in. You can't reach out and grab the spirit and make yourself alive. You can hear it. You can see the evidence of it. But there's nothing you can do to bring it to you. You're stuck in your state. You're, you're by nature, flesh, dead. You cannot become of the spirit. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save other people. You cannot discipline the deadness out of a child. You cannot obey the deadness out of a parent. You cannot plead the deadness out of your family. You cannot befriend the deadness out of coworkers, love the deadness out of an enemy, logic the deadness out of an atheist. You can't empower the deadness out of a homeless person. You can't change the deadness of your own heart. Our state is that we are dead in sin, and, and it puts us at odds with God. There's the dividing wall of hostility, and we are unable to free ourselves from that state. That's the reality of our souls. And if we stopped there, that would be a reason to be hopeless, right? If we stopped there, we would be lost in utter hopeless. There's nothing we can do, right? But I want to give you five reasons that this doctrine actually gives us the ultimate hope. And the first, the first reason that this doctrine gives us the ultimate hope is God can save you. God can give you new spiritual life. God can make someone who is dead alive. 
In Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 5 through 6, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God makes us alive together with Christ. Deadness is not an obstacle to the one who created the universe. The God who spoke everything into existence has overcome death. He has power over death. And how does he give it to us? In Ephesians 2, so later in the chapter, in verses 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once uh, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus has overcome that barrier by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What Jesus has done is he has come here and he put on a body like yours and he felt pain and temptation and sorrow like you have. But unlike you, he did it perfectly. He lived a a perfect life that was ultimately pleasing to God. And then he went to the cross and he offered a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins, the wrath that we deserved from God. Jesus took that on himself. And he paid the penalty for sin so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. And because we have the righteousness of Christ, we've been united with him in his righteousness. We are united to him in his life. We are given new spiritual life. God has raised us from the dead and made us like Jesus. And we are getting more and more like Jesus if we have been saved. I don't have time to read this text right now, but I would encourage you all to write this down. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. And that's, I, this, this is a, it's God interacting with a prophet <clears throat> and he takes him out to this valley. And in this valley, there are just bones, bones everywhere. And they're all, uh, Ezekiel t- uh, Ezekiel says they were extremely dry. The bones were dry. So, so not only were they dead, but, but the flesh had all rotted away. And all that was left was bones. And the bones that were there, they didn't even have marrow in them. They didn't even have any little chunks of meat and stuff on them. It was dry. Years and years of death. And God tells Ezekiel to prophesy and to command the bones to come to life. And he sees flesh on the bones and he sees them breathing. So deadness to life, that's, that's our state. God can take a dead man and make him alive. That's our state. That, that's the first reason that you should be, you should cling to the doctrine of regeneration. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul quotes the Old Testament. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
The reality is we serve a God who has power over death. He has conquered death. And he gives us new spiritual life when we are hopeless. So that's the first, the first reason to cling to the doctrine of regeneration and that it gives you uh, great hope. The second reason the doctrine of regeneration uh, gives us the ultimate hope is because God loves to save. He loves to save. So the first point was God can save. We can't, God can. The second point is he loves to. He absolutely delights in bringing dead men to life. Look in Ephesians 2, verse 4. It says, but God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, in verse 6, it says we're, we're seated with him in the heavenly places with Christ. It's not, it's not good enough for God to just give us new life, but it, God wants to give us new life and then to bring us to himself so that we can be with him. He wants to fellowship with us. That's the kind of love that our God has. He's, I'm going to raise you from the dead because I love you, and I'm going to bring you into my presence and fellowship with you for eternity. We have a God that loves to save. And, and later in this chapter, it's, it's, he, uh, later in the, the chapter, he, he goes on to say uh, he, he's, he's displaying the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Or, um, he's raised us up and seated with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in, in Christ Jesus. So that's what verse 7 is saying is, is God has saved us. And one of, the, one of the reasons, one of the purposes that he saved us is so that he could lavish us with love, so that he could lavish us with the riches of his grace, so that he could display his kindness to us forever. He loves to save you, and he loves to bring you into his presence, and he loves to lavish you with his grace for all of eternity God loves to make the dead alive. God loves to take us out of our sin and to make us like Jesus. God loves to make us fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, as it says later in the chapter. He loves to break down the dividing wall of hostility. We have a God that loves to save. He loves to give new life. Isn't that glorious? Doesn't that leave you with hope? Isn't it, isn't it just the ultimate hope to know that God can save you, which is something you can't do, and that he loves to? He loves to bring you up from the dead. The third reason regeneration actually gives us the ultimate hope is that regeneration means that you can walk in righteousness. Ephesians 2, you, you can walk in righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. In verse 10, he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so we reject the idea that we can accomplish anything, that we can do good on our own. 
that we can naturally work to make ourselves good before God, right? So, so that's, that's anti-gospel. We reject work salvation. But if you have been brought from spiritual deadness to spiritual life, you were created for good works. Good works that have already been crafted by God. God has crafted good works for you and he's, he's sending them. He's, he's basically, he's, he's raising you from death to life and he's making these good works for you to walk in. You can walk in righteousness. If you are a believer, you can walk in victory over that sin that cleans close right now. How many of you, how, how many of you can think of something off the top of your head that you would like to overcome? a sin or a struggle, you're thinking, I, I want to overcome that. And how, how often are you hopeless in that? How often are you tempted to feel like, I cannot defeat this sin. This sin is too much for me. That is a lie from hell. You have been given spiritual life and you are, a work, you are a work of God. You are his workmanship, and he has crafted good works for you to walk in. You can walk in righteousness. So if you are tempted, if, if you're tempted to walk in despair because of your sin, I would, I would just urge you to think about the doctrine of the fact that you used to be dead. You used to be spiritually dead. And you've been made a living spiritual creature. You have the life, the righteousness of Christ. You've been given the ability to walk in righteousness. And if, if, you, if you think you're a believer or you're, you're coming to church and your life is actually marked by sin, you should ask yourself, have I been regenerated? Have I been made alive in Christ? That's a good question to ask. Have I been made alive in Christ? If I cannot conquer this sin, is it because I'm dead? And then no, believe in Jesus. Flee to Jesus. He gives new life. He gives victory over sin. So that's the third reason that regeneration leaves us with the ultimate hope is because you can walk in righteousness. You can walk in obedience to the scriptures. The fourth reason that regeneration leaves us with ultimate hope is that anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. Just think about this congregation. Think, think about the people in this congregation. So personally, I, I grew up in the church and what I was saved out of was this ridiculous sense of self-righteousness. This just goody two-shoes, think I'm really good, self-righteousness. Just gross, snobby self-righteousness. So like if you were to look at my life, it was clean, right? It was kind of clean. But the reality was I was dead. And I've been saved from that. I've been given new spiritual life. Some of you have been in prison. So that's the spectrum, right? There are people whose lives looked clean, but really weren't. 
And there are people whose lives didn't look clean because they really weren't, right? The reality is everyone can get saved. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter what sins have marked your past. Anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. There's no, you have no right to look at another human and say that person can't get saved. That's what death means. Everyone is dead. We see the reality of death in, in chapter 2 of Ephesians. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your past cannot stop God from saving you. Your current circumstances cannot keep you from Jesus if he wants you. You can have new life. Anyone can be saved. So when you're thinking about the hardest, most sinful, vilest people you know, see an opportunity for a dead man to come to life. Back in John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then he goes on to tell, he goes on to tell Nicodemus, No one ascended into the heaven except the, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's talking about himself. Jesus is going to die for the sins of man so that what? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So when you look at hard, dead, sinful people, Know that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's, that's the fourth reason that regeneration leaves us with the ultimate hope is anyone can get saved. This final reason uh, is, is really, really, really encouraging to me personally because we're about to do something really difficult. Uh, we hope to plant a church in Waihu. Um, which means we, what we're hoping for is to go and share the gospel and for people to be saved uh, and to, to, to actually grow in righteousness and become um, uh, faithful believers and faithful Christians. So the fifth reason regeneration leaves us with the ultimate hope is because regeneration is not up to you. It's, it's not up to you. Isn't that, isn't that glorious? Isn't it glorious that it's not your task to, to raise a dead man to life? You don't have to rely on your own strength for people to be saved. You don't have to rely on your own skill. So, so I, I'm just going to be really vulnerable with you. I, I'm, I'm tempted to, to fear 
church planting in, in that community for, for a lot of reasons. So, sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not local. I'm from Alabama. I talk funny. We stole your quarterback. No one's going to like me. Like, so I have reasons, right, to, to, to doubt that God could use me for someone to come to, to Jesus. So there's a, there's a temptation to really lean on, like, Rocky as a local man to kind of spearhead evangelism. But you talk to Rocky, Rocky's got fears and, and temptations to doubt. Praise God, it's not up to us. Praise God, it's, it's, it's the work of our God and Father, our God who can save, our God who loves to save, our God who loves to save the vilest sinner and make them walk in the righteousness of Christ. Praise God, it's not my job. My job is to be a faithful servant, to love the Bible and to proclaim the gospel. And I, it doesn't matter what skill I have. It doesn't matter how winsome I am. It doesn't matter how smooth I talk. It doesn't matter how good of a friend I am or how good of a family member you are. It doesn't matter if you're a good child. You being a good child is not going to save your lost parents. You being a good parent isn't going to save your lost child. You being good at apologetics or defending the Bible, that's not going to save someone. You knowing hundreds and hundreds of Bible verses, like you don't have to be like Matt Neal and have them all memorized. It's not up to your ability to memorize, although you should try to memorize, not, not saying anything about that. It's not up to you fitting in or being relevant with the culture. It's not up to a, a seminary degree or being ordained, or any level of education. What you do for a living, it doesn't matter. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel with great confidence that we have a God who can save. He loves to save, and he loves to save the vilest sinner and make them look like Jesus. Preach the gospel with great confidence, knowing that it's not your power that saves, but God's. Go share the gospel. Go share the gospel. If you all go share the gospel, God will save. We will marvel. We will marvel at his ability to bring in the vilest and make them look like Jesus. So those, those five, five reasons to really cling to, uh, to this doctrine, five reasons that this, this doctrine gives us great hope. Um, one is that God can save you. You can't, God can. Two, God loves to save. God loves to save us. Three, regeneration, new life, means that you can walk in righteousness. You can obey the Bible. Four, anyone can be saved. And five, regeneration is not your job, it's God's. Thank you guys for listening. I would love to talk to you about this. I'd love to answer any questions that you might have. But I just want to leave you with the encouragement that go preach the gospel. Go walk in obedience, knowing that you have newness of life and that others can. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. 
to make us alive when we were dead. Father, we, we have no right to gather in your name and sing to worship you, but you've made us alive and we can. We can gather and sing to worship you because you've saved us. Father, I pray that you would save more. I pray that you would bring more people to newness of life. Father, I pray that you would, you would encourage the saints here, that they would cling closely to this, this understanding of the fact that they've been saved from death and given spiritual life. I pray that it would encourage them and that they would, give, they, they would be given the ultimate hope of knowing that you are a good God who is saved and can save more. Father, we pray that you would do this all for your namesake. Amen.